But if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We've worshipped through music, and now we get an opportunity to worship in the Word. It is everything that we do, that we desire to do as a church, but we desire to do in this service, we desire for it to be an act of worship to the Lord. So we've gotten a chance to worship, and that's what everybody's singing songs, that's what we, we have become accustomed to, but we get now to worship <coughs> the time in the service where we get to worship in the Word. We are continuing our Seed the Vision series. We're in our third week. Uh, we're just asking questions about giving. Uh, as you guys, as, as we think about what it means to be a generous giver, there are some questions that come to our mind. Anytime you deal with the issue of money, as a pastor, uh, you, you get red flags from people. And so we're just asking these questions, approaching God's Word, and seeing what God teaches on this area of finances and giving. Um, I said last week, I think it's important for us to note that Jesus talked more about finances than he did heaven or hell combined. More about finances than heaven and hell combined because I believe he realized that it would be an area that people would tend to withhold worship from God. There is a worship that is involved in our giving and it's important that we understand that. But today in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to talk about, we talked about the why of giving last week, right? And if our why is big enough, we can overcome any other question. Any other question if our why is big enough. And so ultimately, just like Mary, when she poured out her offering to the Lord out of her alabaster box, and she anointed Jesus' head and his feet, and she washed them, uh, wiped them with her hair, and she worshiped the Lord, it was worship. It was, it was nothing short of of worship. And so that's our why. The why that we do things is because ultimately God has called us to worship in every area of our life. This is surrender, right? It's, it's unconditional terms that God has given us as the body of Christ. Y'all are far away from me today. I feel like I am preaching a long way. We got the baptism and I understand why, but man, it just, y'all seem really far away from me. All right. I'm Jump down off the stage and come, come see y'all, all right? Uh, but 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8. Let's look at a, at a church that understood what it meant to have a giving heart. We're looking at the who of worship today, right? We understand our why. If we understand our why, is worship, giving is worship to God. Therefore, we need to do it. Uh, the next thing that we need to understand is how it affects others, the things that you do, the, the actions that you have in life never happen in a vacuum, right? When my sons are fighting, right? When my, my sons are, are doing something wrong, right? It doesn't just stay with them, right? They're not just acting like hoodlums. They're getting their mama worked up. They're, then they're getting their daddy worked up, right? And it's usually in that order. Let's be honest, dads, right? It's usually in that order. The mom is a little more proactive than we are. I say sometimes like with parenting, dads are, moms are, uh, moms are very like responsive. They, they get to the problems before they happen. Dads are a little more reactive, right? They hear the loud crash and then they spring into action, right? At least that, that's me anyway. Uh, and, and like, so our kids, when they're misbehaving, it doesn't just affect them, right? What we're getting them to understand is this affects everybody, 
right? You're getting your mom worked up. You're getting me worked up. Like, everybody is affected. The fact that we're not going to Chuck E. Cheese or not going to McDonald's or whatever, that's going to get everybody worked up. The decisions that we make and the actions that we produce never happen in a vacuum. And so when we look at this area of giving, we need to understand who is being impacted by our act of worship in this area of giving. So let's look, number one, at a giving heart. A giving heart. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. This is Paul talking to the church of Corinth. And he says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. The grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in severe tests of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And before we go any further with this text, we need to understand what Paul is saying here. He's talking to the church of Corinth. And what we find about the church of Corinth is they are very, very wealthy. In fact, of all the churches that Paul would plant, Corinth would be the most, made up of the most wealthy of all of the churches. And so they had the most wealth, and they had promised to give. Paul was taking up a relief offering for the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem had underwent a famine. The whole area had, but Jerusalem was extremely hard hit by a famine. Uh, persecution was ramping up in Jerusalem, in the area of Judea. And so Paul was taking up a love offering for the church that literally to keep them from starving, literally to allow them to continue going on with day-to-day living. And so he was going to church to church, and he was taking up this offering. Paul was in his third, this was his third missionary journey, right? And so he was, he was taking up this offering. Well, when he was on uh, earlier, the church of Corinth had told him, yeah, hey, listen, we're in this, we want to give, we want to help you uh, to provide for the needs of the church in Jerusalem, right? We need to be very, very careful, Lindsay Lane North, how we emphasize and we... Uh, we glorify our local congregation over the needs of the church, Big C. Jesus died for his entire bride. Jesus died for the church here that's assembled here. Jesus died for the church that's assembled across the street. Jesus died for the church in faraway lands, right? It should concern us when the people of the church are going under trial and affliction, and we should do everything in our power to help. And that's exactly what we see happening in the church of Macedonia, right? Macedonia is the region of Macedonia where there were multiple churches there. But here's the thing we find about the church of Macedonia. As Paul explains that they were, they were in the middle, right, of a severe test of affliction. But their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty had overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. What we know about the church in the region of Macedonia, specifically Thessalonica, Philippi, Berea, some of these churches that Paul had planted, what we learn about them is they were actually some of the poorest churches that Paul ever planted. 
So he's talking to the richest church that Paul made, composed of the richest people that Paul ever planted, talking about the poorest churches that Paul would ever plant. Now, we don't understand, we don't know exactly what the churches in the region of Macedonia were going through. Uh, We can postulate, we can kind of uh, make some guesses. Uh, We know that this place was obviously polytheistic, and so when you come to Christ, you are renouncing polytheism, these regions... Uh, relied heavily on idolatry and the trade that came along with idolatry. So selling of knickknacks, selling of things that people really had built their whole financial life around idolatry, right? And around this polytheism that the Romans worshipped. That may have something to do with it, that they were removed. Basically, when they became to Christ, they were removed from that idolatrous culture that probably had very negative effects on their financial situation. But they were in dire straits. The word that's used there, extreme poverty, literally means rock bottom. It means the depth of the deepest poverty. Um, literally the, the bottom of the poverty level. So when we're talking about people that are poor, when he says extreme poverty, when you understand the Greek language, he's saying it really doesn't get worse than what they're dealing with right now, right? This is the depth of poverty, and this church, unlike the church of Corinth that had promised a lot and delivered little, this church, we see Paul being begged by this church to help in relief of the church in Jerusalem. You could make the argument that this church was even worse off than the church in Jerusalem. But yet they were willing to give everything that they have. Their extreme poverty had overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And it led me to this truth, and I think it's good. I heard this from Tim us with New Missions. He said, you can't empty a generous pocket. You can't empty a generous pocket. Think about that for just a second. Think about the money that passes in and out of our pockets, right? From the the quarters that my sons use when we go to eat, and they always want a quarter to put in the gum machine, right? To significant sums of money that we realize, you know, I've got to purchase this, or I've got to buy this, or I've got to fix this at my house, which is the season we're in, right? I've got to fix all this stuff. You think about the money that, that passes hands here, And to say that a generous pocket is never empty. You can't empty a generous pocket. Why is that? Why is it that you can't empty a generous pocket? I believe it's because God is faithful. The faithfulness of God's word is that if you give, because he loves a cheerful giver, that if we give in faith, I believe that God will supernaturally meet our needs. Now, we don't give to get. That's not generosity. That's selfishness. Right? We don't give my check, right, with a little doggy ear that says, looking forward to seeing this back tenfold, Jesus. Right? We don't give that way. But when we are truly generous, meaning I will give and I have no desire to receive in return, I just desire to sow into the life of others, you can't empty that type of pocket. I believe that God is faithful to His Word. I believe that God is faithful to us, that if we will give, we can rest assured that he will provide for us. You know what's miraculous about that? We get to see provision on both sides. We get to see God supernaturally provide for others through our giving. 
and we get to see God supernaturally provide for us. Man, our, our provision, seeing, witnessing God's provision in our life is multiplied twofold if we will just be generous. But they begged. Now, what, what kind of church is this? Right? What kind of region is this? They are begging Paul, Paul, please let us give. And Paul's almost like, you almost get the idea that Paul's like, hang on, Macedonia. Like, let's, let's, let's dip into the Corinthian pocket because y'all are giving too much. Right, like y'all are putting yourself giving into the poorhouse. Right, like he's he's really upset. And he says this: they gave according to their means, and as I can testify, beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part. They were begging to be a bigger part of what God was doing in the region of Judea, which leads to the second thought: you can't empty a generous pocket, but you should try. You can't empty a generous pocket, but you should try to. What if we lived our lives in such a way that we were so sensitive to the needs of others that when we see a need, we gave to the extent that, listen, we may not have money in our pockets, right? But we are giving, we may have very little, right? But we are giving to meet need and then we see God meet the need in us. If you're waiting to give... For it makes sense on paper, I promise you, the enemy will ensure that it never makes sense. It's like having kids. You ever done that? You, you have kids, right? There's, you're never in a point where you're like, hey, we are financially set to have children, right? Everybody will make every, every uh, argument in the world, right, why they're not financially set to have kids. And you're thinking... Bro, I was married a month and three days when we found out that we were having our first kid. I can assure you, we weren't financially set, but God provided, right? But you, so you can't empty a generous pocket, but you should try. Acts 2, right? The whole situation that was going on in Jerusalem, everybody gave, at the beginning of the church, everybody gave all that they had according to as everyone had need. Right? They gave everything they have. So you want to talk about New Testament giving. Right? If tithing is an Old Testament principle, let me introduce you to New Testament giving. New Testament giving is they gave everything that they had and then they distributed to the needs as people had it. Hey, I'm giving it all. And by the way, when they didn't do that, when they said they were giving it all and they didn't, that didn't turn out so well for Ananias and Sapphira. Right? So New Testament giving is give all that you have. Can we take the tithe back? Like we'll, go, we'll go back with Old Testament giving, right? And, but that's exactly what we have going on here. You can't empty a generous pocket, but you should try. It's a giving heart. The church at Macedonia, despite their situation, gave and they gave till it hurt. But you know what? They weren't even focused on the hurt. That's when we give, we focus on the hurt, right? We focus on the curse of it. Right? We don't focus on the blessing of it. We focus on the curse of it. Well, a good night. Well, how are we going to make ends meet now, right? We give. like Lord better provide because we're in trouble, right? We, we focus on is, is completely and totally off. And it's because they had a heart that was generous. Generous isn't an amount. Generosity isn't an amount. It's an attitude. It's an attitude of your heart. But we realize that a giving heart... The reason they were so willing to give, we find out in verse 5. Because their heart was already given. So let's look at a given heart. Not just a giving heart that the Macedonians have, but let's look at their heart that had already been given. 2 Corinthians 8, 5. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God 
to us. Can I be real honest with you? If you don't have a relationship with the Lord, any amount that you give to pacify your guilty conscience or to give because you think it's your neighborly duty, it will never be enough. Because your giving doesn't cover sin. Giving, Listen, even though giving is, is worship, giving does not redeem us. There's no way that we can purchase or buy eternal life. The reason why the Macedonians gave was because they gave themselves first to the Lord and then God directed them to his will. And that's the same way with us. I try to be more generous. My wife is a very generous person. That's why she's over the money. I want us, in our family, I want us to be generous. And so my wife is light years ahead of me when it comes to the spiritual maturity of giving. Right? By the way, I would, I would recommend that you do that in your household. The person who is most generous, put them over the money. Let God bless it, right? And so my wife is over our money and she, and she orchestrates everything and she, she makes sure that everything is, is kept. But there's a tendency in me to just try to give more, right? Well, if I think I need to give 10, I'm just going to give 15, right? Or if I think I need to give 100, I'm going to give 150. Or if I think I need to give whatever, I, I'm just going to try really hard to give. And when we do that, we're missing the whole point of giving, right? Giving comes out of the abundance of the heart, right? It comes from somebody that may not be physically rich, but they are spiritually rich. And that spiritual richness overflows into giving, right? And so I, when I think about that, I think about me all the times that I've tried to do better. Well, I'm going to adopt this kid from World Vision because... I need to be more giving, and this is a good thing for me to practice. And listen, there's some truth to that, right? That you fake it till you make it, maybe, maybe a little bit, but, but it's got to come from a position that a source that's on the inside. Otherwise, otherwise, it will get tedious and you'll burn out. These hearts, these these Macedonians, their heart was given to the Lord. When we hear about acts of giving, we have the tendency to think that we should try harder to give, but that's not how it works. We seldom see the needs of others because we're busy meeting our own needs, right? We seldom see what other people are going through because we're busy meeting our own needs in, in our day. Have you thought about that for evangelism? Think about this in evangelism. I was told one time that I needed to pray for God to put people in my path to share the gospel with. And so that's what I did. I started praying as I was seeking the Lord. I started praying. God, put people in my path that need to hear the gospel of Christ. You know what I realized really quickly in my life? God really didn't change my behavior. Like, I was still doing the same thing, still getting gas at the same place, still eating at the same places, still talking to the same people in the grocery line. I was still doing that. But because I was where I needed to be with the Lord, it was on my mind that I needed to share the gospel of Christ with them. Right? It wasn't that God was giving me these, you know, people were, nobody was like teleporting into my office. Greetings, sir. I need the message of the gospel. Right? Those conversations weren't happening. What was different was I was different. You would be amazed when you live intentionally to share Christ with others, how many daily interactions that you have that you miss the opportunity to share with the gospel with others. We miss it. Why? Because it's not that God hasn't given them to us. It's because we're not where we need to be. 
And all of a sudden, the guy that's across from me at every gas station I ever pump at is not just another person. It's an opportunity to share my faith. And it's the same way with our giving. Jesus said it best, right? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Don't go out and lead the entire region of Judea to Christ. Follow me, and by the overflow, you'll find yourself fishing for men. So we can tell a lot about ourselves by how we worship in the area of giving, how we worship in the area of evangelism, some of these things that are important and vital for for a child of God to be a part of, right? But is your heart given to the Lord? A giving heart is the result of a given heart. A giving heart is the result of a given heart. There was a man by the name of George Mueller lived in the 19th century in England. Let me tell you, if you ever want to feel really bad about your spiritual walk with the Lord, like you want to look at somebody and be like, man, that's awesome, and I am a spiritual Pemite, read some of the stories that came out of George Mueller's life. Uh, Man, God blessed them in incredible ways. He led an orphanage that saw somewhere around 10,000 orphans in three different locations that he oversaw. The man never asked for money, ever. He never fundraised, ever. He never told people, hey, I've got this orphanage, would you mind giving to it? He never made that ask, ever. Everything that he got came as a result of prayer. I stink, right? I'm up here, we're seeing the vision, right? I'm, I'm, I'm begging and pleading, right? George Miller never asked once because he knew that God would supernaturally provide for him. And so there's amazing stories, story after story of the whole orphanage can't eat. There's no food, there's no breakfast, right? And the kids are ready for school. And, and uh, so they gather together and they ask him, what do, you, what do we want to do, George? What do you want to do? And he's like, well, let's just pray and bless the meal like it's here. And by the time they said amen, a milk truck and a baker had brought bread and milk for their breakfast, right? 50,000 prayer requests in his prayer journal. When he, at the time of his death, some 50,000 prayer requests that he had mentioned in his prayer journal to the Lord had received an answer on the next page. 50,000 times. When George Mueller died, he had $800 worth of possessions, a man that managed about 8 to $10 million worth of food over the course of his lifetime, worth of supplies through the orphanage, over 8 to $10 million. When he died, he had $800 to his name. But you know what he would do to every single graduate that would age out of his orphanage? He did something very special. First, he would pray for him because he's George Mueller and he's awesome like that. First, he'd pray for him and he'd take a coin And he'd put it in their left hand. And then he'd take a Bible that he had gifted to them and he'd put it in their right hand. And every 10,000 orphans that aged out of his program, he would say this right here. He would say, if you will hold fast to what's in your right hand, God will ensure that there's always something in your left. Man, what an amazing way to live right how much more would we be freed up if we realize freed up to give to others if we realize that if we'll just hold fast to this god will make sure this takes care of itself it's amazing to see how god orchestrates it but we have to give and we have to give cheerfully and we have to give generously when our heart is his 
Things that once seemed difficult all of a sudden don't seem difficult anymore because our home is no longer where it was. No longer are we living for our home here. We are strangers and pilgrims living for our home there. Third and finally, a gracious heart. A gracious heart. Look what it says in verse 6. According, accordingly, we, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. This is now the third time that I've said the word grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge of all earnestness, and in, all of, in, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace for also. Did you know that in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 9, the word grace appears five different times. It's the word charis in Greek. It appears five different times. Now, in nine verses, if something is repeated, it's repeated more than anything else, any other word in that, that construct, in that text. And if that's the case, we need to pay attention to what's mentioned five different times in these nine verses. The grace of God is what enables us to have grace to give. The grace of God will open up your hearts I pray that you're in this room, if you're in this room under the sound of my voice, I pray that you have a relationship with Jesus. I pray that the grace of God, what is God's grace? God's grace is lavishing on you things that you don't deserve, right? God's mercy is keeping you from things you do deserve, like punishment, like the consequences for your sin, Right? That's mercy, but grace is God not being content just with not allowing you to go to hell, but God lavishing his love on you as his children. I pray that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and that the grace of God has opened your heart to him. If you haven't, I want you to know that you'll have an opportunity to respond to that message. You'll respond to that love today. We would love for you to respond today to that message. But the same grace that opens your heart opens your hands as well. See, because if it's in here, it can't help but be out here. If it's on the inside, it can't help but make its way to the outside. And it works both ways, right? Rest assured, your sin will find you out. Why? Because what's on the inside is eventually going to make it to the outside. But it's the same with the righteousness of God. When, he has, when grace has opened your heart, grace will open your hands and you get to, in your notes, through generosity, we become dispensers of, the, of God's grace to others. God desires to give grace to others and he desires to make you a part to be a dispenser to communicate that grace to a lost and dying world. It's what I'm doing here today dispensing grace as God has given to me. But five times, five times in this text, we see the word grace. God lavishing on us what we don't deserve. And so it's not that the church of, in Jerusalem, it's not that they had met some spiritual criteria so Macedonia had to give or felt compelled to give. 
It was that they had experienced grace. They trusted the Lord to provide for them, to fill their left hand. They were just holding true to what was on their right. They trusted God to fill their left hand, and they watched provision happen twofold. Twofold in their life. The question for us is, as givers, do we, do we see, do we even see the need of others? Right? I talk to so many people that's like, it's not, they're like, well, God doesn't give me people to share Christ with, or God doesn't give me people to give to. No, that's not it. It's that we aren't expecting to be used by God to dispense that type of grace to others. Why? Because we are busy doing our own thing. But the moment we allow the Holy Spirit of God to give us spectacles of the Spirit, right, that changes everything that we do and how we see our life, the minute we do that is the minute that He changes everything. Are you broken for the lost? I mean, does it really affect how you live your life? Does it really have a daily impact on you knowing that people are dying and splitting hell wide open? As Charles Spurgeon said, before you can be a winner of souls, you have to be a weeper over souls. I mean, has God really infected and affected your heart knowing that there are people outside of the grace that you've received? There may be people in this room that they hear the gospel and they don't respond and they leave still with their, their eternal destiny in question, right? As, as John would say, they're condemned already. That, that could happen in here today. How much does it affect who you are? Has God, the same grace that has affected your heart, has it affected your hands? Are you willing to give of your time? Are you willing to give of your conversations? Are you willing to give of your interest and your hobbies and your things that you want to do in your day to give of your schedule in order to see God dispense grace to a lost and dying world? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? We have our baptismal service in just a moment, if our candidates for baptism can go ahead and make their way to the back of the room, we'll get, they can get ready for our baptismal service. We're excited to do that. And so if our baptismal candidates want to go ahead and make their way there to get changed, that would be great. But how about you? How about you? Maybe you've tried to be generous and you just can't. <laughs> right? Maybe, maybe you've done everything in your power you just can't would you seek out the one who can change everything? Maybe you're here today and maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And listen, the most important thing I can communicate to you is not to give more but to, to others, but to surrender your life to Jesus. Surrender your heart to Him. Let Him change you from the inside out. Stop trying to do everything on your own power and trust Him to radically transform you from the inside out and watch how it changes everything else that you do. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're the most important person in this room. And I want you to know that there's people that would love to talk to you about how you can know that you have a relationship with Jesus. That you can know. Hey, listen, we've got a baptistry right here. It's ready to go. Listen, maybe, maybe you're in here and you realize that you don't have a relationship with Christ. And maybe you want to get that right. Maybe you want to get baptized today. Listen, baptism doesn't make you a Christian. But it's what we do to share with everybody what Christ has already done in us. Right? And so maybe you want to worship through baptism today. 
That's not something you have to do, but it's something you can do. Listen, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we just want you to respond today. There's counselors that are in the back. When I say amen, you can walk straight to them. You don't have to come to me. You don't have to come forward. You walk straight to them and tell them that you need a relationship with Jesus. They're in the back, my left hand, your right hand side of the room. As soon as I say amen, you can make a way out of your seat and go over there and talk to them about how you can know that you have a relationship with Jesus. Right? Maybe you want to get your baptism straight. Maybe there's never been a time in your life. Maybe you're, you know you're a Christian, but there's never been a time in your life where you have followed through with baptism. This is the order that we see in the New Testament. We're saved and then we're baptized. And maybe you need to come today to get your baptism in order. We'd love to take care of that today. The water's ready. And as the Ethiopian eunuch said, here's water. What hinders you from being baptized? Maybe you need to take that step out of faith. Talk to one of our counselors about how you can, uh, that, that you can do that today or take part of that today or get on the schedule for the next time we do it. But whatever it is, I pray that you would respond. The bottom line is God hasn't called you to anything less than complete surrender. And so maybe you're here and maybe you know that you have a relationship with Jesus, but you, there is lots of your life, or there's even a little part of your life that's not surrendered to Him. I want you to know that He may He is available for you to get right with Him today. You can make this, this stage here, an altar, where you can kneel and do business with the Lord. You can come find me if you need to rededicate your life, anything like that. Like I said, any decision that you need to make, those counselors are in the back. I'm here at the front would love to talk to you about that decision whatever it is that you need to do maybe you need to join our church maybe it's time for you to call it right and link arms with us as a body of believers whatever it is i pray that you would be obedient to the lord in this time of invitation father pray that you would be glorified god in everything that we do and say in this invitation god i pray for the one that needs a relationship with you they may have known it for a really long time that they need you in their life God, and the enemy is absolutely racking them. God, with shame, with guilt, with nervousness about getting up in front of a lot of people. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would just defeat that in their heart and their mind today. God, I pray that they would, they would respond to the grace that has been given to them. That you have given us so much more than we deserve. And God, that that love would motivate them, God, to act. To let somebody know that they need a relationship with Give them boldness. Be with every heart in this room, God. Make us givers, looking not just to our own interests, but the needs of others. Let us worship you in this place. Let us get it right. Let's make the decisions we need to make today. Holy Spirit, would you move us as we sing? In your name we pray.